0: Welcome to Failing Forward. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Peter Lockery from CARE and Matt Freeman from Emory on the Swash Plus Project, which was funded by the Gates Foundation in Kenya from 2006 to 2019. Today, Peter and Matt are talking about learning how to design projects and research for advocacy and completely redefining what we think of as scale and how to achieve it from just implementing bigger projects to actually influencing the government to change the way it delivers its work. Matt and Peter, can you please introduce yourselves for our audience?
1: I'm Matt Freeman. I'm Associate Professor of Environmental Health at Emory University in Atlanta. I did my doctoral research as part of Swatch Plus, and then I joined the faculty at Emory in 2011 and became the principal investigator on the research side for Emory. Peter
2: Lockery, the ex-director of the water team and care project director of Swatch Plus from the start through to about 18 months ago.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the context of the failure and the solution you're describing today.
1: It's important to remember that it was MDG era. There were no school level target. In many countries, there was a real lack of ownership over the Washington schools subsector there weren't any ministries that were feeling tasked with the ownership of this. It was in that environment that this project started. It's interesting to go back and think about that because now, of course, Washington Schools targets are part of the SDGs. There's quite a bit more evidence. And I think there's a lot more attention around things like menstrual hygiene that were not even on anyone's radar at that time. The success of SWASH is really encapsulated in that journey. WASH actually was fairly catalytic driving that conversation, not only in Kenya and through the work of the project itself, but also the ripple effects of the other projects that came after it. Also, UNICEF and their taking up of the having a WASH in schools focal point, which Karen Emery played major roles in supporting
2: This project provided significant evidence which was used for UNICEF's global call for action on school wash. It was one of the few projects that was developing evidence at the time that UNICEF wanted to do this call for action. We were able to make a major contribution far beyond Kenya to global understanding of school wash. The vision of the project partners was that in 10 years, 90% of primary schools in Nianza province and 50% in Kenya will have access to safe drinking water, effective hygiene promotion and improved sanitation. And that as a result of the project, there will be a demonstrated model for scaling up school wash programs. So right from the start, we're not just talking about delivery of sustainable wash in a limited number of schools the foundation weighed in right from the start to say, okay, this is not about service delivery in the limited sense, but it's about how do we learn about sustainable wash in schools and how do we scale that? And they forced us to write a proposal which not only demonstrated how we would generate the evidence of what works and what doesn't work, but how we would then use that evidence to go to scale. The
0: context you're describing, it's taking an approach about evidence for scale that's very new, thinking about evidence and advocacy and how you go from implementation to generating evidence to advocacy across a 10-year time span. And it's working with a bunch of new actors, people who maybe don't share that vision. What are some of the key challenges you
2: faced We actually went back and looked at some work that CARE had done prior to the start of WASH Plus. And the initial findings was that the interventions had been sustained. When we did this study some two years later, we found that the WASH facilities and services had not been sustained in the uh, majority of schools this is where the trust comes in. It takes a significant amount of trust to admit such a finding. That sort of set the scene, I think, for later work, in that we were prepared to talk about failure and then attempt to address that failure.
0: It's pretty scary to admit a big failure like that. What did you see as the immediate consequences?
2: We took that failure to a meeting organized by, I think, the State Department and USAID on Washington schools, and we made this presentation. This is what we found at the end of the intervention, and then two years later, we went back and looked, and we found significant lack of sustainability. From the start, there was this openness to facing reality, and also it persuaded the implementers, the doers, for want of a better word that there were lots of gaps in their knowledge. The kind of dominant thinking at the time, there were lots of problems with that. And so there was then this sort of understanding that admitting to failure would help drive innovation.
0: What made it possible not only to openly admit a failure, but actually to take it to other donors in the sector?
1: What really was the hallmark, I think, of success is that we had the flexibility as a partnership to pivot. And we were in the kind of early days of the WASH program at Gates Foundation, and we had a project officer who was very outspoken about the need to learn from failure and very permissive in allowing us to pursue these kinds of questions if they resulted in learning. I would credit the flexibility and trust of the program. I think you, unfortunately, don't see that flexibility a lot. Even in learning initiatives now, there's often more barriers in terms of budget lines or objectives.
0: What are some of your key lessons learned from this experience?
1: This project has really shaped how I think about implementation research and how research programs should be designed to answer important policy relevant questions and how to engage stakeholders at the doer level, as Peter is saying, but at the policy level as well. Some of the early qualitative research that we did led to building a consensus within Kenya around free provision of menstrual pads, both through the qualitative research and then through a well-placed, locally written op-ed in the nation paper the very day that the government ministries were meeting. So a lot of these opportunistic learnings, that became our MO because of the strong learning partnership between the academic partners, both Emory and Kluke, but also the doers and the government. I don't think it was set out to be that way. We iterated based on what we were seeing and realizing in, in terms of the policy environment
2: The Gates Foundation was absolutely right to encourage us to prepare a proposal that not only talked about the first phase of the project, i.e. kind of generating the evidence, but they also said, okay, then how are you going to move to scale? And we said, well, we don't know how we're going to move to scale until we've done the first phase. So they said, well, you have to put something down. We want to know now how you're going to implement the whole project our idea was go to scale. Well, that meant moving up from, you know, 100 schools or providing a smaller amount of support to 1,500 schools with government investing. We thought that was the way to address scale. Of course, when we get to the end of uh, phase one and we generated some evidence, one of the pieces of evidence was that girls' absenteeism could be reduced by six to nine days per year by efficient and effective wash services in schools, that seemed to be the piece of evidence that convinced the government, convinced the Ministry of Education that they had to invest in maintenance of wash facilities in school. That established the case for government increasing its investment. But then there was another problem. There were clearly issues around sustainability. You know, it's difficult to convince government to invest, even if they know that a successful investment is going to have a significant return in terms of reducing the number of days of absence of girls. It's difficult to convince them if you don't have an approach you can demonstrate is sustainable. So we had to find how we could make it more sustainable
0: Based on this whole experience, what's one action that you'd recommend to other implementers for you, Peter, and and Matt, for you, to other researchers?
2: Having much better understanding of the whole process of wanting to influence policy and looking at what's happening within the country in a particular sector, and then identifying what needs to change and then setting up a program where we are generating evidence, figuring out what works and what doesn't work, then you know, how are we going to take that evidence and advocate to uh, government?
0: It sounds like your main recommendation there is to be a lot more politically savvy in our analysis of the problem and how you influence the solution. What is the evidence you need to do that but not just what's the evidence, who are the people you need to influence?
2: One of the things that we learned is as external support agencies, for want of a better term, are not there to deliver services and undermine or let government off the hook in terms of their responsibility to deliver services for schools and communities. I think that was a big change in our thinking as time went on. When we started out, there was a very different credo, if you like, and that was very much around, we're here to deliver services on a, on a small scale, and then we're going to scale up and then we're going to collaborate with governments. Ultimately, it wasn't about collaboration with government. It was about influencing government in terms of the way they support schools. So much more about changing government policy and the way government does business with schools rather than our own provision of services.
1: The biggest accomplishments of SWASH, the kind of global advocacy, but at a national level, aside from kind of getting this on the radar of the national government, which was of paramount importance, one was the development and integration of a hygiene curriculum, which was a long labor of love by the care team to get that mainstreamed into the government curriculum. The second was promotion of menstrual hygiene, free pads across Kenya, The third was increased funds for wash-in schools' operation and maintenance.
0: Any final thoughts or recommendations for the listeners?
1: These policy outcomes were because of close collaboration with the government, of strong learning partnership within the grantees. That in the end is the the legacy within Kenya, are the strengthening of the school WASH working group, um, which didn't exist at the beginning of SWASH, uh, but brings together stakeholders, NGOs and policy stakeholders in in the government, several ministries. These other policy wins that were only able to be achieved through direct, rigorous operational research.
2: As far as funding from central government for maintenance of wash facilities, the way we went about that was to work with committees run by government or chaired by government and to present the evidence to those committees. And it was those committees that then proposed to the ministry, you need to increase your budget as follows.
0: Peter, how about for you?
2: I think it's necessary to underline that as time went on through this project, not only did we develop relationships with both the Ministry of Education, but also the Ministry of Health, but we also understood the systems. And that was a really important part of the work, understanding the way that uh, government works and therefore understanding entry points. Who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to work with? Who do we need to engage and involve? In the
0: Thanks for listening to Failing Forward. Stay tuned for our next episode.